The Fake Show is brought to you by Threads of Envy, the law firm of Hutchison and Stefan, the Craft House Brewery, the Tone Factory Recording Studio, Moonshot.com T-shirt designs, and by Mr. Antenna. Cheryl is the voice of a generation. With Cheryl, the struggle to make something great is always in there, and she commanded the spotlight. You never questioned whether Cheryl was the boss. She's so rock and roll. From an early age, I knew music was this joyful thing, this nerve-wracking thing, and ultimately this rewarding thing. It's always hard to look back and talk about who you were, because it's only who you think you were. Those are some moments from Cheryl, music from the feature documentary that has already hit the film festival circuit and is about to premiere on Showtime. The film on prolific singer-songwriter Cheryl Crow is an intimate story of song and sacrifice over the years, and there is an accompanying new album. And I have the Grammy Award-winning Cheryl Crow on the line right now. Hey, Jim. How are you? Cheryl, I'm great. Thank you, and, and welcome. Congratulations on not only the album and the documentary about your life. Does that sound weird to you, like it's a Lifetime Achievement Award? Yeah. I remember that show, actually, when I was a kid. This is your life, you know, and they <laughs> they kind of parade people in and out. They tell the story about, you know, how they knew you and all that stuff. And, yeah. Um, it's a little bit like that. You know, I, it wasn't something I was really interested in doing, um, but I've seen so many documentaries that have, you know, had uh, an effect on me. And, uh, you know, after 30-some-odd years, of being in the business, um, it just felt like it was time. Yeah, and I, it also feels right that you sort of have control over this. Uh, did director Amy Scott approach you, or was it the other way around? No. Um, initially, I was sent um, some director's names. I wanted to work with a woman. Um, I checked out each of the uh, director's reels and what they'd done, and I really loved um, what Amy did with uh, Hal Ashby's documentary. I yeah. thought her her choices, just everything was so artistic and um, intelligent and um, and not germy at all. And I, I, I wanted to tell the story um, of, you know, of who I am, not my career necessarily. And obviously the two go hand in hand, but there is a whole life behind um it's not just all all I want to do and every day is a winding road. You know, I've interviewed people like Rita Coolidge and Carly Simon and Wilson who all talk about how tough it was, especially in the beginning, to be a female artist. And I'm assuming we might see some of that in your film. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all in there. It's, you know, I, I've, I've talked about what it's like to be a woman in the music business or really any business, particularly creative businesses like in the arts and how the dynamic between men and women, um, those lines get really blurred sometimes. And even though we are now in the Me Too movement, we've come a long way, but, you know, it's it's never going to be perfect. And, and when I was coming up in the business, there was nothing like the Me Too movement. And yeah. so I talk about that and, and I talk about, you know, having bouts of real depression and, and having to figure out how to navigate my life um, with that being a part of it and breast cancer and and ageism and just 
all of it. You know, I, I think there's a lot in the documentary that a lot of women will relate to, and even men um, as, as well. I know these were tough things to talk about. It, it was obvious, and but you know how how many people that it, it is also helping by you talking about these things. Yeah, and you know, I didn't set out to do a movie that was going to be, you know, a, a therapy piece, but I knew that there were, you know, I, I knew that there were universal stories in there, um, and that... Um, there is no artist that is perfectly portrayed by the the music they put out, um, and that I I own my own story. And at a certain point, you you tell your story as opposed to letting everyone else tell it. The first time I saw you was here in Las Vegas at the Hard Rocks Grand Opening, the Joint Grand Opening. I think it was in March of '95. What a weekend! With you and Al Green and the Eagles and so many other bands, it had to be great for you, even as a fan, right? Yeah, all these things. I mean, all the festivals I've been on, all of the, just through the years, the award shows, all of them, being able to brush up against the people that, that ushered me in, you know, um, and, and just to absorb some of what is brilliant about those people. You're not going to remember being at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when they opened up this, the, the museum. Uh, in Cleveland, I believe, and, and yeah. uh, there's Chuck Berry. I mean, uh, it, I mean, Jackson Brown, Chrissy, obviously. I mean, so many amazing, um, Bruce Springsteen, so many great artists, um, people that I grew up idolizing, and every time I've had those experiences, I've come away from it feeling like I've just played tennis with John McEnroe. You know I mean? <laughs> like, I'm an okay tennis player, but when you step in the on the court with somebody who's so much better than you, you play better. He didn't throw a, ten- a tantrum or a tennis racket or anything? <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never played with him. So. Okay. <laughs> the process of putting the music together for this, do we see some of that? Because I heard that Mick Jagger actually accompanies you on blues harmonica. Yeah, you know, I, I've got... Uh, a few new songs on this new this this new soundtrack that comes out the day of the documentary May sixth, and um, we were doing "Live with Me," which is in the documentary. It's the first song I ever played with the Rolling Stones, and um, we were in the studio. And I thought, oh, I'll just text Mick and see if he might play some harp on it, and I did, <laughs> and he responded right away and said, "Yeah, send it." And you know, it's stuff like that where I still am just like a little kid, like, oh, my God, I cannot believe I just texted him. And then <laughs> right. there's that period of have I set, overset my boundaries, and then he responds, and then it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe he said yes. You know, incredible. You know, it's all part of it. Your artistry, your music, it just must be a great avenue for you to tell deeply personal stories because you've done a lot of that over the years. Yeah, I mean, this is... This is different, you know. This is really, um, it's it's pretty raw. I mean, there's a lot of stories I've never talked about, yeah. and um, and it's it's all in there, you know. And it's not in there because I'm trying to sell anything. It is a part of why I am the way I am, and and who I became for a while, and getting back to being who I know myself to be. One of my favorites, this is from the Globe Sessions, actually, is Anything But Down, which I could feel the emotion in your voice. It's really touching to listen to that song every single time. Oh, that's so nice. I mean, you you hope that, you know, when you're being overcritical in the studio and you're recording yourself and uh, you're having to be the arbiter of what's good and what's not good, it's, uh, you know, sometimes you wonder if the emotion is in there. So... 
I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. Now, I'm from Wisconsin originally, and I discovered a while ago that you and your sons are diehard Milwaukee Bucks fans. How did that happen? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, during quarantine, my uh, my then 10-year-old, actually 9-year-old, just, I don't know, he fell in love with the Bucks, and he would tell me stuff about, did you know that um, Giannis Antetokounmpo was selling sunglasses? Um in Greece when they discovered him and brought him to America. I mean, all these amazing stories. Yeah. And he, he just really idolized them. And, and as I watched them and got to know some of their stories, I just thought, what a great team and what a great example of, of working hard and sticking with it and and being able to enjoy the fruits of all that work. And so, it's you know, it's been a pretty beautiful and perfect example of what sports can be like for kids. They're in the midst of the playoffs. Will you have time to attend a game or two? Oh, yeah. I mean, we wouldn't miss it. We would not miss it. Well, Cheryl's documentary premieres May 6th on Showtime. Can't wait. The album is available on all digital platforms. Cheryl, thanks so much. Always nice to uh, catch up with you. It's an honor to talk to you. Oh, thanks for having me on. I hope you you like the documentary. You have to understand that Cheryl's first nine studio albums sold more than 35 million copies worldwide, seven charting in the top ten, and five certified for multi-platinum sales. She's also a nine-time Grammy Award recipient, So it's always amazing to me that she is still humbled at the thought of being able to text someone like Mick Jagger. I guess you never get over that. That brings us to the end of this episode of The Fake Show. Hope you enjoyed listening to Cheryl Crow as much as I did. I'm Jim Tofty. Thanks for listening. As always, I'll see you next time. Listen to The Fake Show anywhere on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, and thefakeshow.com. 